Well, happy Sabbath, everybody. Are you as happy as you look? Good. Good. I'm very happy today. Didn't have to get up at 4.30 today. Got up at 6.30 instead. Hallelujah. It's kind of an unusual Sabbath. I feel like a regular pastor where you come to Sabbath school first and then you have church. Because, you know, we usually have church, then Sabbath school, then church. If church can mean worship. But we, we had a great service here. First church filled this place up. It was at Andrews Academy Baccalaureate. David Solomon Hall, Jr., preached his heart out. And you know, as a staff, we sat down and said, well, what are we going to do? I mean, the academy says, when we're through here, we're out of here. We're not staying around for second church. So we said, well, shall we just kind of, what, what shall we do? And the staff came to the decision, we need to keep whatever we've been doing this spring, we need to just keep it going. And we'll, what we'll do is we'll invite everybody who was at first, who will be free at this hour to go home and turn on the radio and... We'll continue this series, Am I My Brother's Keeper? Now, I have so much on my heart, I hardly know where to start, to be, to be really candid with you. I mean, I, I, these are all the notes I have, and normally I take a 12, 10, 12 pages into the pulpit. I just have one little sheet here to make sure I get things started off right, and then it's all blank, south of that last line, it's just all blank. Because what I want to do today is uh, I want to share some stories with you. A story that happened uh, last weekend and that really is still being written as we speak right now. It it happened to your staff. I know you didn't miss us. You didn't even know we weren't here, but the entire pastoral staff was gone uh, last Sabbath. And you're finding out about it now for the first time. But... Our good friend, uh, John, John Dibdahl, our head elder, John and Kathy, our head elders. We said, John, would you step into the pulpit for us, please? Minister to this congregation. We've got to, we've got to go to a conference. Once in a while, pastors need to go to conferences just to kind of get jazzed up again. Kind of rejuiced, rejuvenated. And so that's what we did. I want to tell you the story about what happened to your staff, your pastors at that conference. It's still happening. We're still unpacking it. I want to share another story with you because it kind of sets up that story by Anne Lamott in her whimsically delightful and inspiring book, Traveling Mercies. I read this story every now and then when I just need to get picked up off the ground. And uh, today I'll just kind of give you a thumbnail of it and hope you go out and get the book. And then another story. We're going to end with a story today. And the story will actually climax right here. And it, it, the story won't be over until the service ends. It will, it will come to a, some sort of a conclusion today. So we've got three stories. And I, I, I would like for us to take uh, these three stories in the context of grace. We've been talking about grace. We, we really are talking about community building the, these last few weeks in the spring. And we're going to keep it right going into uh, summer, even though the students are all gone. We felt as a staff, this subject is so critical that we have to keep it going. But, but somehow the Lord brought grace into it for about our last three or four sermons. It's been very heavily grace-laden, and I've been grateful, kind of surprised by the Spirit for Him doing it. But I got a great, a great definition of grace that just came to me last evening. I was out in, the, in my yard, knowing that this is 
a very short break in the thunder showers. I'm sure I've got to get this lawn mowed. You know, it grows up to be a jungle in Berrien Springs if you wait more than three days. And so this has been a whole week. And so I'm out in the yard working and my, my neighbor, our neighbor, Merle Bascom. You know Merle? Yeah, he's a, he's a, the treasurer of the, of Andrews University. So they're next door neighbors, Merle and June. So Merle is trimming his hedges and I'm trying to get the lawn cut. And we stop to talk, turn off the lawnmower. And I say, hey Merle, I've been noticing these dogs you have in your backyard. Oh, he said, Teresa, our daughter, who's a physician down in Dallas, Fort Worth, is visiting and she has her chows here. I said, yeah, we've been looking at Sadie, our dog, just loves to go over to the fence and smell your dogs. And Chow's a beautiful dog. You know, he's kind of big, a lot of hair. I said, and, and, and Merle says, you know, and Teresa, she's really excited about this because a neighbor friend of hers has gotten into going to dog shows. So now she's taking her chow and she's showing her chow. You know what it means to show a chow? It means you compete. You know that. You, you know dog shows. Compete. I said, oh, really? The, the, the chow's name, by the way, is King Tut. So I said, how is King Tut doing in these dog shows? And Merle looked at me and said, you know, King Tut does wonderfully when he's the only one in his class. <laughs> Took me about three seconds to get it. And then I just burst out like he did. I just burst out laughing and Merle smiles and walks away. I said, Merle, come here, come here, come here. I said, that is incredible. Merle, I have to be able to share that with the congregation because it, I'm just thinking, Merle, you know what? That is the meaning of grace. Grace, you know, you and I go through life and we think that there are thousands of people in the same class we are in. And that there are so many of us who compete, who, who just, just, you know, how am I doing? How am I doing? And we're always, there's always someone better and there's always someone worse. And we're, we're, we're always benchmarking ourselves saying, ah, how do I feel? Oh man, I don't feel good today, man. I'm not doing well. I found out there's somebody that really is good in this area and I'm just poor in that area. And, and we go through life thinking that there are hundreds, maybe thousands of people in the same class we're in, and grace comes along. God comes along and says, Hey boy, I want to tell you something. I want to tell you the truth. There is nobody in your class but you. You win with me, hands down, every time. Isn't that something? Oh, King Tut taught me a lesson. When you're, when you're the only one in the class... You win. You do very fine. We get in trouble when we start pulling others into that class with us. We get in trouble. Grace comes along and says, you are the only one. You know what, folks? If we would treat each other, by the way, in the same way, we would build community much faster. Because if I say to you, you know what, you, you know what, Larry, you are the only one in your class and I just love you. I just love you. You got no competition in my heart. You have no competition in my life. If husbands would do that to their wives, honey, you are the only one in that class. You win. You win. If we would treat each other that way, I tell you, there'd be a whole lot of community that could grow because I don't have to compete for your affection. I don't have to struggle to get your eye. I don't have to win because you've already told me I'm the only one in that class and I win just for being in the class. What a God. Oh, King Tut taught us a lesson today. So we're thinking about grace. See? We're thinking about grace and community. And before I get to these three stories, I want to go to a line in Scripture. We were, at, we were in Acts 4 just a few weeks ago. I totally missed it. You probably caught it. I just went shoom, right over the top of it. 
And I apologize because I didn't see this here in Acts chapter 4. And so as a preface, kind of a prologue for the stories that we're going to share today, can you go back to Acts 4? Delighted to have so many visitors on this uh, holiday weekend. We're glad you're here. We've been in the New Testament predominantly. Started off with Cain and Abel, am I my brother's keeper? But then we've, we've been looking. God wants to build community in the, within the people and the children of God, the people of Christ. And certainly the infant church here in Acts is a powerful, powerful depiction of community. So I'd like, I'd like you to see what I missed the other day. Maybe you missed it too. Just two verses, Acts 32 and verse 33. Describing this community where it was, you remember this line, one for all and all for one. We kind of looked at that. One for all, all for one. Describing that moment or that reality, this is verse 32 and I'm in the New Revised Standard Version. And you're doing just fine without having any PowerPoint on the screen today. Because my PowerPoint man is preaching his heart out in the heart of Manhattan, New York City. And so I said, Clever, take the please. So Clever will be back. Uh, for June 9, I want to preach a sermon then entitled Bowling Alone, Looking at Community. Fascinating study that's just come out in the United States, Bowling Alone. Why so many Americans bowl alone? I want to talk about that in community. But let's do it. We'll do it without PowerPoint. Verse 32, now the whole group of those who believe, that's the early Christian church, were of one heart and soul. And no one claimed private ownership of any possessions, but everything they owned was held in common, community, communism, community. It all comes in the same word, see, in the Latin. They had it in common. Now, with verse 3, verse 33, with great power, the apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. Now, we just hurried right on to the, left, the, the end of that passage and I missed that line, great grace was upon them all. You know, it, it, the, the Lord is working with me on this. He said, Dwight, I'm trying to get this through to you. And that is, grace is the gift. Grace is the gift that makes community possible. If there is no grace, there just can't be community. There can be, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and we shared this earlier this spring, there can be a piety of fellowship, but there can't be community. We'll wear the masks, we'll play the part, like I'm perfect and I'm doing just fine. You won't have genuine community. Great grace has to be upon you, and when grace is upon you, you got community. That's the truth about the early church. And that's the truth I long to see be the truth about the Pioneer Memorial Church and the Andrews University community. We need to be community, but great grace is going to have to be upon us all. So what does that mean? Let me share three stories with you. Story number one, I told you, I, I use the word whimsically delightful. This is a great book. It's called Traveling Mercies. I love the title, by the way, Traveling Mercies. My parents used to pray that all the time before we went on a trip. Oh, God, give us traveling mercies. Well, you know, you don't think about what the words mean, but uh, Anne Lamott, a well-known writer, has grabbed that and she says, I'll use it. Traveling Mercies, Some Thoughts on Faith. She has a wonderful chapter in here entitled Grace. And as I mentioned a moment ago, I read the chapter. Every now and then I pull it off the shelf because I just need to... Oh, thank you, Jesus. It really isn't as bad as it seems, is it? Now, she, she also found that W.H. Alden line that we shared a few weeks ago. I think it was Alumni Sabbath. Some of you might remember that line on Grace. Do you remember that? Philip Yancey and great, great writers often access each other and quote uh, great lines. And this is certainly one of them. Alden wrote, I know nothing except what everyone knows. If there, when grace dances, I should dance. You remember that? 
If grace, if grace comes walking through that door, oh, I only know one thing. I want to dance with grace. I hate living without grace. I do. I cannot live without grace. When she walks through the door, I want my heart to be set ablaze. That's a great line. Now, she's reflecting on that. And I, I am a little sorry that we can't put this up because this would be easier for you to follow. But just listen to me as she defines grace. I love this. And then the story. I understand that Alden meant grace in the theological sense. He meant it as the force that infuses our lives and keeps letting us off the hook. I like that. Grace keeps letting us off the hook. It is unearned love. The love that goes before. The love that greets us on the way. It's the help you receive when you have no bright ideas left. When you are empty and desperate and have discovered that your best thinking and most charming charm have failed you. Grace comes along and says, I'll get you off the hook. Grace is the light, the electricity or juice or breeze that takes you from that isolated place and puts you with others who are as startled and embarrassed and, and eventually grateful as you are to be there. Grace says, I don't know why. Why are we all here? I don't know. But grace brought us here and we're together. You see, grace creates community. You suddenly realize it's a community of fallen. It's a community of, of, of the failing. Now, nobody loves to fail. This is a story of failure. I can identify with it. She says, but if Alden had known a person, when he said, when grace comes, I must dance, he would have been speaking, she writes, of Grace Paley. Grace Paley was a, a, a very well-known woman in the 70s in the woman's movement that kind of swept through America back in the early 1970s. All women that were in the woman's movement all knew Grace Paley. Oh, my, Grace Paley. So, uh, Anne Lamott says, when, since I was 16 years old, I just, oh, I, oh, my. And then the publisher, Anne Lamott's publisher, says, hey, I'm going to get you and Grace Paley together. We're going to put you on a stage together. You will each read portions of your work, and then you will read a, a prepared speech. Sit down and take questions from the audience. I get to be on the stage with Grace Paley. Well, the long and the short of it is that Anne Lamont gets a bright idea. She says, hey, well, what is this? Why don't we just do some real jamming up front together? Forget this prepared statement. Why don't you, Grace, sit there and I sit here and we just dialogue? That Well, the publisher, with a little bit of protest, said, okay, let's do it. They did it and it was a total bomb. Total flop. Now, Grace was gracious about it. She said, I thought it went all right. Grace's husband said, no, you were right, Anne. It was, it was terrible. And Anne said, I felt so bad because I got there and I monopolized the conversation. I got my words all, I got my, my tang tangled. I kept messing this whole, the whole conversation up. And by, by the time it was over, I was a horrible failure in front of 2,000 people. She said, I went back to the hotel room that night and I wept. <laughs> she said, I just cried. <laughs> She said, oh, what is there about failure? And then she said, I, 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 I leaned my head over and I prayed one word. I said, help. And just like that, she said, the, the, the conversation of a friend of mine once upon a time, it came back into my mind. And I remember him saying that grace is having a commitment to, or at least an acceptance of, being ineffective and foolish. And then our bottled charm is the main roadblock to drinking that clear, cool glass of love. She said, I don't know why. She said, I have an awful time with failure. And I'm going to put just as a little P.S. there. I do too. 
I suppose all of us as humans to a degree do, but some of us, I think, struggle more than the rest of you with failure, with a sense of not wanting to fail. And <clears throat> my, my heart just goes bing when I, when I read these words over and over. My fear of failure has been lifelong and deep. Now, you've got to hear this with your ear and your mind engaged. My fear of failure has been lifelong and deep. If you are what you do, and I think my parents may have accidentally given me this idea, and you do poorly, what then? It's over. You're wiped out. All those prophecies you heard in the dark have come true. And people can see the real you. See what a schmendrick you are. What a fraud. Nobody likes to fail. Especially failing in front of other people. Because why? We're exposed. Then you see that I'm not quite as controlled. I'm not quite as cool. I'm not quite as in touch with managing my life. And suddenly I feel, she says, I say, people say, we feel, we feel naked. We feel like everything that made us who we are has been stripped away. And then, and then what's left? Nothing. That's the self-talk that we live with. And so when she says, you know, I go back to my hotel room and I just weep. And then a friend comes along and says, you know, grace is, grace is about letting go of, the, of, of, of your charming charm and admitting that you can be ineffective. And then she, she writes another line. She says, suddenly I figured out, and she had to work through this through the night, but she said, I figured out the gift of failure is that, the, the, the reason failure is a gift is that it breaks through all that held breath. You know, have you ever seen people who are posing for a picture? Like at a wedding or something? They say, all right, hold that smile. Especially guys do this, you know, they, you know, I don't want to look like a wimp in that picture. And just, you hold it. And it's just cheese, and you just hold it. All that held breath. And what does she call it? She calls it isometric tension. <clears throat> she says, suddenly, this is what the gift, this is why failure is a gift. All that held breath and isometric tension about needing to look good, it breaks through. Grace is the gift of feeling floppier. I like that. Some of us need to say that over and over to ourselves. Grace, the gift of failure, is the gift of feeling floppier. Let go of that isometric tension. Don't hold your breath. Just be floppy oh you. We love you that way. See? Isn't that true? That's the problem with grace. It doesn't get through because of our sense of you know, self, self-protection and self-definition. It really is foolish. The early, the early Christian church, you see, grace is the gift that makes community possible. And so they, all the walls came down. There was nothing. There's no play acting now. You were a former murderer? Yep. You were a former thief? Yep. They just, but we've all been saved by Jesus' death and resurrection, grace and Man, I love you just the way you are. You love me that way too? Yeah. Well, Anne Lamott, in that story, and by the way, she says, we had to do two, there were, there were going to be two of these shows, two of them. The second one, she said, when the producer says, I think we've got to go back to the original part, she said, yes, go back, go back, go back. They go back, they do the show. I love the last line of the chapter. They do the show. The people love it. They read from their works. They have prepared statements. They answer questions. And she says, you know what the joy was for me? The joy was for me. What I wanted was acclaim. I wanted recognition. I wanted success. And then she flopped when she wanted, tried to get what she wanted. What I wanted was acclaim. And that night, 
What I got was grace, lovely and plain in her faded dress and dark socks, smiling at me all night. That's grace. Smiles at you in its crazy looking socks. It says, you know, it doesn't matter to me what you look like. It doesn't matter to me how you perform. It doesn't matter to me the success you find or do not find. I just sit across the table and I smile at you because you know what? You are the only one in your class. And God says, I love you for that. You have no competition? Not with me? You have no competition. Isn't that beautiful, folks? Isn't that just beautiful? I tell you. Man, we need to hear that. We need to, we need to go back to that. Maybe you get this tape and just play the tape to yourself. Every now and then, when you feel like you're going down and you feel like a failure and you feel like you're not going to make it, just remind yourself that with God, you're the only one in your class. And He loves you. Oh, He loves you. It's Calvary. Well, I said I would share three stories. And so the second story... It's also an illustration of how grace is the gift that makes community possible. We did go to a pastor's conference conference here a week ago Thursday. We were there for three days. And it was a wonderful conference. It, 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 was, it, it was so refreshing to sit at the feet of others who share a very similar kind of journey. And I must tell you that the reason I wanted the staff to go because I saw the brochure and it says, focusing on how to build community. And I said, whoa, that's kind of what we're into around here these days. And so, hey, guys, you all want to go and everybody clear the decks. And uh, we went. Well, it was amazing. I mean, <laughs> we just watched another church because the conference was held in another church, see. And by the way, I think that's the best place to hold conferences about the local church. Don't go off somewhere. Just do it in the local church. Let us see it where it happens week in and week out. And so it happened right there. And we watched it. Oh, great worship. Our hearts lifted up with the music like we had today. Hearts moved and stirred by, by the preaching. Oh, my, we had great preaching. Just great preaching. And every night we'd get together and we'd say, okay, most important thing you learned today. Thursday night we got together. What was it? Oh, their passion for the lost. These people are driven by a passion for the lost. It permeates everything church does and happens there. Oh, we all agreed. Whoa, that, that, that is it. That is it. It comes through so clear. And I had a chance to meet with a senior pastor in a group for senior pastors, Q&A time. And it just kept coming through. It kept coming through. And so then we went all day Friday. And we went out Friday evening. Uh, before Sabbath, we went to a, uh, a Mongolian restaurant. By the way, Mongolian food is wonderful. They put it on a big wok, you know, and they stir it up. You pick what goes in it. It's great food. And uh, so we enjoyed that. We did a lot of laughter and, and fun together. And then got back to our hotel before, uh, before the Sabbath. And so I said, hey, guys, anybody want to come down to our room? Just come on down. We're just having a good old-fashioned debate. In the Bible or something. We'll find something to argue about. So come on down. Well, some say, oh, I'm kind of tired. So, uh, two of us are rooming together. And uh, pretty soon, knock at the door. Another one came in. Our pastoral staff. So there's three of us. And we're, so we're sitting there. And we started talking. Well, hey, you, you guys went to that uh, lecture. How did that lecture go? And Because uh, I missed it. I was at the uh, Q&A time. And... 
So there, these, these other two are giving me kind of the, the lowdown of the lecture. And it talked about fear. What, the lecture had to do with, with, with the metaphor of Peter walking on water. There comes a time when you have to step out of the boat and walk on water. And when that time comes, what is it in your life that if you knew God would hold you up, you'd get out of that boat? What is it that, what, what is it that fear is holding back in your life? And so we got into a little conversation. And then one of the guys, one of the guys said, hey, finally hit me. What has struck me out of this conference now for two days? He said, I couldn't put my foot on my my, my finger on it the uh, first uh, day, but the more I've watched, the more I've thought about it. You know what? I'm convinced that they've got something we need. What's that? They have, they have authenticity. And a vulnerability that is up front and behind the scenes. At least, he says, that's what I'm perceiving as I'm, as I'm listening and watching and feeling, as it were, this conference unfold. And you know something, the pastor went on, he said, you know something? It occurs to me that until we can model it ourselves in our own little community as a pastoral staff, we will never be able to ask this congregation to really, really experience the depth of what community means. Yeah, another pastor said, yeah, you know, that's true. You know what this pastor said? And, and boy, the door just starts, the door just, you ever seen the door just kind of slowly opens, just kind of creak and crack and groans at first and then faster and faster. And, and that door began to open. And then, yeah, you know what the other pastor said? I have been going through a struggle. I have been going through a struggle in my life for the last two years. And I haven't felt like I could talk about it with anybody in that circle. Yeah, and the other another pastor said, yeah, and you know what? I'm not sure. I'm not sure I could talk in a trusting sort of way with anyone right now in that circle. And one of the pastors said to me, he said, you know, Dwight, Because this is the pastor I was rooming with. And we prayed together the night before we crawled into bed. Separate beds, but... (laughs) I don't want want any rumors to get out. Now, please, please. (laughs) So, we prayed together before going to bed. And, And I prayed for our families. I prayed for our children. And, 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 and so this pastor says, uh, you know, I'm going to tell you something. It's the first time I've heard you pray and talk about your boy, Kirk. I said, really? He says, yeah. I said, oh. I said, you know what? You're probably right. I have felt such a strong sense within our little circle that we got champions of 
doing it right and raising your families in the perfect way. But I felt if I ever talked about my failure as a father, it just wouldn't be the place to tell that story. I said, I got some close friends who have journeyed with Karen and me and shared a few tears along the way. But I haven't. I, I guess it's just it's, it's my fault. I have not felt like this was the place to talk. I mean, that conversation, guys, started at about 9 o'clock, about 9.30. We, were, we went to 12.30 that night. I mean, it's just like a door. When a door starts to open, it begins to build some momentum. And suddenly we're realizing, what, 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 what is going on here? Man, we, 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 we better go wake all the other guys up. No, no, let's not wake them up. They won't be in a, they won't be in a receptive spirit. <laughs> so let's wait till after the session tomorrow. And so we waited till the session was over. And we found a room in that giant uh, complex of... Uh, of uh, the conference in the church. One of the ushers took us to a room and it was a private room for us. And the others, the other four didn't, you know, had no idea why we're here. I just said, well, we want to unpack a little bit what we've been through. And so the, the, the other two are all looking at me like, well, okay, you know, you, you start it. So I said, guys, let's, you know, let's have a prayer and then I want to, I want to share something with you. And we had prayer and we, and we just got into it. And I told the story and the others jumped in. And so... The other, the other two, and so Friday night was now on the table. And then once Friday night was on the table, people said, well, maybe I can put a little something else on that table. And a little something else slipped onto that table. And, and somebody else said, I, you know, I have a little something I need to put on that table. And that little something got put on that table. And those old legs of the table started to get a little creaky. We spent three hours together. Some tears, of course. There were tears Friday night. Nothing wrong with crying. Doesn't matter at all. Sometimes tears are the key that open a heart fully to someone else. And we all held hands at the end and we just went to God and we said, Oh God, you're starting something in our midst and it's grace. We need the gift of Your grace that we might model authentic community. Nobody in our church will do it unless they see it. Unless the leadership shows the way. And so, I tell you, we came home late Sabbath. We came home. Our our spirits... You know, I can't speak for the rest of the staff. We got back together and pulled in John and Kathy, our head elders, and... Ken, who had uh, uh, on our staff, who had been here as a minister of music, and we shared the whole story with all of us now, eight or nine or ten of us, and went through it again. And every time I go through it, I, I say to myself, God, you have begun something. Philippians 1 6, my God, who began a good work and you will bring it to completion. God, please don't back off. And so, what's been going on this week? There have been some long conversations. One staff member and I got together for three hours on Sunday to just kind of unpack. And I met with another staff member. And, staff, you know, we're just kind of, we're not blabbing it around, but we're just talking. We're saying, what can I do so that you can know that I cherish 
the community of your kindred spirit. And that grace allows you to be you and me to be me. And we'll put our arms around each other. And, and, and we will walk this way together. Well, it's a work very much still in progress. But uh, our staff is going to be preaching this summer. I'll be on the camp meeting trail starting next week for a bit. But uh, I, I want them to feel just as much at home as I do today to say, hey, this is a part of the journey and here's, here's where I journey now. And, uh, but you know what I believe, uh, my friends here? I really believe that this, that this story of community and this grace that is the gift of community, it really isn't difficult. That you don't have to have a manual. You don't have to have, you don't have to go through some long protracted conference. What happened to us was that conference became a key. It was like a little catalyst. It just a, 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 a little spur, burr beneath the saddle as it were. And it, boom, it exposed. And if you and I, listen, if you and I are willing to be open to each other. You can build community on the job. You can be, build community in your marriage. You can build community in your Sabbath school class. You can build community in your stamp collectors club. You can build community with your bowling team. You can build community anywhere you go. And the people start saying, you know that, Wolfhart? I'm telling you, that guy, where he moves, he is so open. What it is I'm realizing is we, we all together in the little group that we're in, and it can be the leadership team on campus, it can be any leadership team anywhere, we just make a deal with each other. What do you say we drop our guard? What do you say we start, we start being just who we are with each other? What do you say we'll never talk about what we share here anywhere else? What do you say we become trustworthy? What do you say that we love each other in the midst of failure so that we can get right up front and say we failed terribly or I failed terribly and we'll all stand up and we'll applaud and say you bet we failed with you. You see, if we give each other permission to be genuine, then the masks can start coming down. They don't come down overnight. It's a lifelong journey, but the mess can start coming down. But it takes, it takes someone in your little community circle. And you may be the someone. You may be the one to say, you know, start it with me. And the vulnerability, folks, is this risk. It's the risk of everybody listening to you and saying, great story, thanks. I don't have one to match. But until somebody opens her mouth and somebody takes his step, You'll never even know where you can get. It may be you're in a group that is not as humanly possible because of the mindset of the group to have community. You know what? Get out of that group. Get out of that group. Find another one. Start another one. Get out of what is holding you, throttling you, choking you. Start another group. If it can't be your work group because you're too protective of your self-interest on the job, then start another group. You need a group. And I'm just sensing this. And my, I tell you, I, feel a, I just feel a new love for my staff. I've always loved this staff. But I just feel a new kind of love. I feel like a, a new freedom. I feel like, wow, man, we, we can just talk. You know, I've enjoyed that with my wife, but you know, I, you can enjoy it in a bigger circle than your marriage. By the way, since I men mentioned uh, uh, my marriage... You know what? I'm realizing in this experience I'm having with the staff, what's happening to me, that, you know what? My marriage is going to be better off for this experience. I'm finding it's, it's, it's saying, hey, boy, do the same at home. What is this about having to do it with your peers? You should do the same at home to the one you love the most 
deeply. Your family, your, your daughter, your son, do the same. Be utterly transparent. Be willing to be a failure. Stand always in need of grace. If you're in need of grace, grace will step up and you can dance with grace. And once you dance with grace, community says, I can come into that, I, I can go into that room because grace is already dancing. Isn't that beautiful? It is beautiful, I tell you. It's not, there's nothing, I can't put it on. I can't, I can't, I can't. It's just no notes talking from the heart. But I'm seeing it happen on campus. I'm seeing it happen in just a stone's throw away in Lamson Hall. I'm seeing the gift of community. And I'm saying, look, if they can do it in Lamson Hall, we can do it in Paul. Oh, we can do it in Meyer. We can do it in Berman. We can do it in Griggs. We can do it in Nethery. We can do it in Bell. We can do it in Chanshun. We can do it in the seminary. If they can do it in Lamson. Oh, Father, this is such a reassuring affirmation from You. You really do want communities just like we have sung. Communities where the gift of hurt and the gift of failure can be embraced by the gift of grace. And where as we, as we just mouth the words, where, where we can share our mutual woes and our mutual burdens we can bear, where for each other there will flow, released at last by senses of propriety and sensibility, but tears that can flow out of gratitude as we just sensed, out of love and affection, out of a desire to be closer, out of a longing to love, even as we have already been loved at Calvary. You have poured out Your grace upon us. Now, Father, let that grace bind us. Let that be the binding for new communities right here in our midst. New life for grace at last has walked through our door. We praise You. We thank You. And now may the Father of grace and the Son who demonstrated that grace to us and the Spirit whose communion brings that grace within us be with you and me in the chapters we shall yet write to build up His community. Amen.